Hello and welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where Macintosh and Mod force each other to watch movies they should have already seen. I'm David, aka Macintosh. And I'm Diana, aka Mod. What are we watching this week? This is David. And I'm Diana. And this week we watched... Kramer versus Kramer, 1979. Ted Kramer's wife leaves her husband, allowing for a lost bond to be rediscovered between Ted and his son, Billy. But a heated custody battle ensues over the divorced couple's son, deepening the wounds left by the separation. Uh, estimated $8 million budget. Did $106 million gross, U.S. Boy, this movie's hard to watch. It is. It is hard. Doesn't help that that little boy looks a little bit like our son. Yeah. Doesn't help that there are so many realistic portrayals of having to be a parent. Yep. Just period. Yep. <laughs> Which will cut you to the bone if you've ever had to do things like that with a kid. Yep. Yeah, this is not a feel-good movie. It's a feel-shit movie. <laughs> I wonder, is, I have to think back, and I don't. I don't recall movies that I've seen earlier than this that were that sort of emotional manipulation level type movie. Um, I'm sure they're out there, but you know, this is the best picture winner, so there's that. Well, and there's some interesting reasons behind that. I think one of the best critiques I read was this movie is so centrally focused on its performances that without those performances by those two leads, Mm -hmm. three leads, honestly, I don't think you get any anything better in, in a best picture from this. Oh, I completely agree. If if you take away the Oscar winning performances, this movie is a lifetime movie. Exactly. With those though, it really does elevate itself. Oh, absolutely. Um let's talk about let's let's do our normal order. Let's right. start with the writing. So first of all, this is based off of a novel. Mm-hmm. No, nothing about the novel, didn't look into it at all. But Robert Benton both wrote and directed this film. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else has he done? He wrote Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, okay. I've still Superman. never seen that. He's actually written a whole lot more than he's directed. His last movie was The Ice Harvest. Uh, okay, so writing, it's not bad. Though it this... does it does need to be noted that, I, okay, we've both read bits of the trivia on IMDb. Uh, for the courtroom scene, Meryl Streep wrote her what she said. And other trivia was that Dustin Hoffman wrote large chunks of the script on set as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, so much so that Benton offered co-writing credit to Hoffman oh, during during the filming of the movie because there were so many sequences that he was rewriting. Mm-hmm. Um, Hoffman turned it down. It made it better. It did, because I think... Again, this it, this movie it, could have easily been spotted in a lifetime thing, mm-hmm. but it's those it's those one on one scenes between Hoffman and the kid, mm-hmm. Streep and Hoffman, Streep and the kid. It's those one on one moments mm-hmm. that make this that ground this movie. Well, I really like the scenes where it's Dustin Hoffman's character and the neighbor, the friend, where they're talking. Oh, Ted and Margaret. Yeah, I really liked their scenes. That felt so realistic. And also... Well, almost more so than anything else. Well, and I will also say, it it gets a little squirrely, but not bad. The courtroom scenes and the lawyers are actually true to life. And... And it's really hard to watch those scenes because they're going after Joanna Kramer. But 
that's what a lawyer's paid to do. Absolutely. Like you don't you don't hate the lawyers in that moment. You're like that's the strategy. That's what you have to do like, to try he's to win. Playing dirty, but like if you're ever in a situation where you need to win something, you always say I don't want I don't want to be up against a scuzzy lawyer, but I want to hire the scuzzy lawyer. Exactly. And neither of these guys seem to be particularly scuzzy other than they know what they have to do to try to win the case. Mm-hmm. They know the point they have to try to prove to the court. Yeah. That's that's the end of mm-hmm. it. And the movie moved very quickly. It's an hour and 45 minutes, which is admirable in and of itself. Yeah, because this is easily one they could have made more agonizing, and they did not. So they definitely get points for that. The original cut was 45 minutes longer or something. Mm-hmm. It was it was a much longer movie in its original cut. Well, this cut is very good. I don't feel like there's anything missing. Yeah. And I don't I don't we didn't need anything more. This is this is a very workmanlike performance mm-hmm. from a writer director because I I think all of this comes down to the acting. Mm. I don't think there's anything particularly special about what he put into it. Agreed. I th- I think this is this is this is an example of you give somebody a decent script, do something with it. And they did. Um, I, I don't, I'm not trying to shit on the writer or director, but uh, you could have you told me it was anybody. And I think we still would have gotten as good performances out of the people because they are that good. That's fair. Let's move on to acting because that's what this whole movie yeah, is. This whole movie is. Okay. First build. Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. This was his first Oscar win, right? Yes, this is his first Oscar win. Now, he had not been nominated at least three times before this. Okay. The Graduate, yeah. Midnight Cowboy, and Lenny, when he, where he played Lenny Bruce. I've never seen either of those. Actually a great movie. Okay. Also nominated for Tootsie and Wag the Dog after. Well, Tootsie, of course. Have you, ever, have you seen that movie? No. <gasps> oh, we're going to have to put that one on there. Um, and Wag the Dog is a great film. I need to revisit that. Seven nominations for Best Actor. And it's nothing compared to his co-star. Uh, so drop in the bucket. But uh, he was amazing. Uh, he did a lot of improv. We know he worked a lot to ha- build that relationship with uh, the boy, Justin Henry. Yes. Uh, also, he was going through his own divorce while filming this. So all of that pent-up frustration reads real and i think that's because he's using it so much in these scenes yeah and he's definitely one of those method like actors he's not as crazy as a daniel day lewis but he does go to some extremes he he is very externally focused as an actor yes he focuses on trying to inhabit the the physical properties of whoever's he whatever character he's dealing with that famous story of Marathon Man, where yeah. he's running twenty miles every day, just act to get into the mind. But to get into the mindset yeah, of that no, character, no, that's how no. he does it. No, I get that. Um, that makes complete sense from a research standpoint. But from an actual, when you're actually trying to perform, and you're doing that as part of no, it, like it's weird. I understand. Like, okay, I'm gonna have to do this scene. I'm gonna go run a quick. I'm gonna go run for like thirty minutes to get hyped out. Like, that's one thing. I'm going to go run a marathon. That's ridiculous. I'm going to go train like I'm running a marathon every day. I'm on set. Yeah. That's a little extreme. Like, incorporating those types of practices, sure. But that's that's just, there's just a, there's a practicality that's just like, you're stupid, dude. You're pretending. You're playing pretend. Come on. Oh, yeah. Pretend. <laughs> he's, he's a bit intense. The, the note that they had where he's got the glass and he, Flings it against the wall in the restaurant with Meryl Streep sitting there. Mm-hmm. Meryl had no idea. He only told the cameraman that he was going to do that. 
So, but because Meryl Streep just reacted to it well and stayed in character, they kept it. She was furious with him. Oh, of course she that was. That could have hurt her. Yes. That could have. That's that's one of those, you pay a fine now. They're, Go pay a fine. From what I can tell from the trivia, they are not real fans of each other. I think it's one of those, they have very different processes, but they do respect what comes out of the other person. It's like, they, I don't want to hang out with you, but we work. Our, our work is good. Meryl Streep doesn't care. She's all about the work. She She's a working actress. If she had never gotten the acclaim that she has, which is mostly earned. There's a few times where I've rolled my eyes. I roll my eyes a lot at her. Um, but she is a working actress. I put her up there. Uh, same as Laura Linney. They just have gotten a different level of exposure. And now uh, Laura Dern, who's suddenly making a comeback and is amazing. Yeah, I mean those are just those are working actresses. Yeah. They they just want to do good work regardless of, uh, from what they've spoken to, that regardless of money, regardless of who's doing it. I want to do good work, and I I always love that Laura Linney said I want to go from playing Juliet to playing the nurse. She wants to be able to do everything in her career. Yeah, and Meryl Streep's the same way. Should we jump to Meryl Streep? Yeah, we kind of just did. <laughs> uh She's going through her own personal problems in this movie. Yes. John Cazale, a.k.a. Fredo from The Godfather. Yeah, they had Paul. been in a relationship for quite some time, and he he had just died. Yes. And then she was also pregnant towards the end of this film. And this is, I mean, th- this guy is a Hollywood legend. Mm-hmm. He w- He shone very brightly, but he was, from Fredo to mm-hmm. Dog Day Afternoon to The Deer Hunter, he was a genius actor yeah. and writer. I think he wrote Deer Hunter, if I remember correctly. That mm-hmm. might have been, yeah, Michael Cimino directed. But in any case, he he was a big deal and going to be on the level of De Niro and Pacino and those guys and yeah. then passed away young. Mm-hmm. And so... I think he got sick. Yes, I believe he was ill. Mm-hmm. But in any case, you know... So she, he had passed away. She had, I believe, just started seeing her now husband and she was pregnant with her first child. So she's in her own sort of midlife crisis while she's suffering. <laughs> they both a, have a lot to pull from. She's suffering a crisis. It's very interesting how the timing of this movie worked out with those two actors. It really is. Well, and she has the harder job. With this story, absolutely. They talk because about... Because she is mentally ill. Yes. she's. It's not quite postpartum, but it's that similar... Uh, it's that similar mom depression. She's having an identity she, crisis. She's lost herself in being yeah. a wife and mother. Uh, that's not uncommon. And she leaves. Now, that is unusual for this time period. Um, it's still unusual. Mom, mom typically doesn't leave. It's usually dad. So you've got to sympathize with her, hate her, and then still sympathize with her. She fought tooth and nail to get stuff written into the script to help that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it shows because that that all works. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, you're like, what is going on? Because she is just, we, we don't get a whole lot of context. We just get her putting her son to bed, telling him that she loves him. And then her husband comes home and she is laying out that she's leaving and she goes. Like, and that's it. That's kind of all we get. And then later we find out that she's been back for a while. We find out it's been almost, you know, a year and a half that she's been gone. And, you know, she's reestablished. Like, we just find out all the stuff and we're just like, oh, okay. And then we get the courtroom scene. We don't get a lot of her. No, she's 
she's almost a supporting actress more than an actor. Or she was a supporting was actress supporting in this actress. movie. Yeah, she was in the lead. Because actress. she's not the she's not really the lead, quote unquote, for this mm-hmm. movie. But that's always telling when her presence for the forty five minutes she's mm-hmm. not on screen yeah. is still felt the entire time. Oh yeah. And, you know, I think the thing was the book and the script both portrayed her as just this mom who abandoned her kid. Yeah. And she refused to let it be that simple, mm-hmm. which makes this movie so much better. Yeah. They they got closer to something that is more equal. Closer because I don't think they got far enough. Maybe not. That's, that is the one complaint about the story of this film mm-hmm. is that it is of its time in that it does not recognize the actual struggle going on for women well, in that position. My annoyance with this film, in, in part, I understand why this was a big deal when it came out. Because it's like, oh, mom left and now dad has to deal with all those struggles of, you know, taking care of a kid and, and sacrificing your career. I'm like, women have to deal with this bullshit every single day and have been since the beginning of time and nobody gives a shit. And all of a sudden now we have this move. Like, it, it was one of those, like... Give me a fucking break. Poor little man has to deal with the kid, has to go homework, has to put his kid before his job for once in his life. It was one of those, like, fuck you, people. But I do get it. (laughs) Where it turns around is when it stops being about that Mm -hmm. and starts being about she now wants to take custody of her son back. Mm -hmm. And he's like, but I've developed a life with my child now. It's like, wait, I've seen the awesomeness of getting to be with my kid. Yep. And now you want to take all of that away from me? Yep. That's where this movie turns yeah. and gets and kicks into high gear. His scene in the courtroom, I was braced for something awful where, you know, it's just this total takedown of of her leaving as a mom and he doesn't do that. That it's so gracious because instead he just turns to I I I understand she loves him. I don't want her to not get to see him and not love him, but I want to be with him. Yep. And that that's beautiful that they made it that instead of going as far as they could. Yeah, because this was definitely before equal time was a standard thing. Yeah. It was really like, okay, whoever gets the kid, that's it forever, and the other one has to write a check. That was just kind of how it was always set up. It it ends out in the in the pretty much standard decree you see nowadays, which is nights and weekends type thing yeah someone typically typically has uh primary custody but you know i also you know we have a friend who they've got they've got equal one week is with this parent one week is with the other because they're close enough that that works okay great works for everybody whatever works for everybody involved that's what you should do yeah and judges have gotten more sensitive to that that is still the standard decree by statute yeah. Um, that's just what the state says. If you guys don't come to an agreement, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. But parents generally reach better agreements on that stuff now because they, they want the best for their kid. Well, for most people now, it's more equal that both parents are typically working. Uh, so from a timeshare perspective, uh, they both have similar responsibilities. Let's talk about the third lead actor in this movie. Justin Henry, who has the... Uh, has the, still has the record for the youngest Oscar uh, performance nomination. Uh-huh. He was eight years old. Eight years old. Eight years old. He's really good. He is really good. Um, 
his scenes with Dustin Hoffman are wonderful. I love just, you know, two dudes in an apartment, <laughs> you know, walking around in their underwear, scratching their heads, well, scratching just, their butts. <laughs> it's very funny, but it was like, yep, if I left the house and David and Theodore were left home, that's what would be happening. That's the funniest thing, too, because he, he gets up, he goes to the bathroom, then he opens the door, he opens the door, doesn't do anything, walks and starts getting the stuff ready, then Dustin Hoffman trails out of his room to go to the bathroom. All of those scenes were done very, very well. I really love that the first morning they had together and he's making French toast, it is the most disgusting disaster in the world. And then on what's supposed to be their last morning together, they've got this shit down. Uh-huh. They're making the French toast. Everything's great. I love that. That was that was a nice little bookend. He's both cute and sly and at the same time so heartbroken. And I, you can just read it all over him. It's just, he's just... That kid, um, he's re- he's he's really feeling. Well, he's not really feeling those emotions because they they were very they were very careful with him on the set. They weren't trying to you know traumatize him. He they got oh. him to cry by basically just saying you know just think of something sad. Yeah, and that's all he did. Yeah, um, um, I really like you know when Dustin Hoffman's taking him to school and they're fighting. He just got to school <laughs> and he runs away. I also I also love a little bit that. Um, Dustin and Merrill were both um, joking with him, trying to convince him to want to be with them more. Better, yeah. (laughs) What else are you gonna do? Um, I would. We would all probably do the same thing. I mean, most of it is really just like they treated this kid with respect and had fun with him while he was on the set. Yeah, Mm, they worked well together, and I think that helped him be safe and comfortable enough to go in those directions he needed to go in, Mm -hmm. and he. His presence in being real just makes it all the more heartbreaking to watch. Yes. You got anybody else you particularly wanted to mention? I really liked the neighbor. Jane Alexander as Margaret Phelps. I, I really liked her. I liked that. I liked, I just really loved the scenes between her and Dustin Hoffman, you know, talking about, you know, the kids, what's going on. They're both going through the divorce. And I liked that there was never this hint that there was going to be a romance between them. Yeah, I kept waiting for that. And it... I was expecting it. And I really liked that it wasn't there. I really like. it was just like, this is the person who understands what I'm going through. We have kids the same age. I love that scene where he's like, if something ever happens to me, I want you to take him. After he, oh, after his oh, kid after... nearly loses his eye. <laughs> yeah. That was, oh, him running down, okay, how did they get away with them? Because Justin Hoffman is holding that kid. Uh Uh-huh. That's not a dummy kid, because that's what I was watching for. He runs, like, three or four blocks, and they film all of it. There's not a single cut of him going from here to there. And I was just like, holy shit. Uh, The only thing I can think of is they had somebody on a dolly track, and they just did it. Uh, I and didn't care what was going to happen during that take. If he hit somebody have. or fell over, it was done. But he's holding that kid. I know. <laughs> oh. He's holding Justin Henry, and then with him on the, at the operating table while he's getting stitches. Oh, it's it's wrenching. I've, I've been that kid. I fell when I was a kid and had to get about thirty stitches in the back of my head, and so I remember sitting there just like bent over because it was in the back of my head and just being like, "This is horrible. I hate all of this." It was bad. And terrified. I was and... like terrified. Well, okay. But it was not good. I was mad. Billy is terrified. He's terrified. It's, and yeah. his dad, and Dustin Hoffman, does the perfect parent move of just being as quiet as possible. Yeah. And just holding him. No. <laughs> I'm crying right now. Okay. I guess my only other mention was Howard Duff as John Shaughnessy, Ted's lawyer. 
Okay. Who, here's, here's what's so great about it. One, yes, they show the lawyers being dirty. But the other great thing is that they show his lawyer being realistic with him. The whole time, he's just looking at him like, I- I'm not going to I'm not gonna bullshit you yeah. about what's going on in this case. Like, if you don't have a job, you're not going to win. Like, it's going to cost this much money. It's going to cost this much money. We can money appeal, but this is what's going to happen. It's going to cost that much more. And, and, try, and being absolutely sensitive to him. Like, mm-hmm. I will, I'm more than happy to help you fight for your kid, but your prospects don't look great. Yeah. Okay. No, and that's great. And I mean, he's like, and we we gotta we gotta do it. I love when he get off gets off the stand. He's cross examined Joanna, and he goes, "Did you have to be so hard on her? Do you want your kid? Then yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the sad reality of divorce court and we're really custody court is just like yes, you have to go to those lengths if that's what you want to protect. Yeah, because because at the end of the day, nobody feels exactly that way about the situation, but you have to convince a judge. Yeah, and that's the important part. All right, so let's get to the Oscars. So, looking back on this, this was a crazy year. Okay. Some of the movies involved this year include Apocalypse Now. I've never seen it. Breaking Away. Never seen La it. Cage of Fall. Oh, I've seen that. That's all one of my that, mother's favorite films. All that jazz. Oh. Uh, Norma Ray. No. I've named all the best pictures there and directors. You know, this was also the year of 10 and Star Trek, the motion picture, the Amityville horror, the Muppet movie. Oh, wow. So the, this was a big year for movies. Okay. Let's talk about uh, what Kramer versus Kramer got nominated for. Dustin Hoffman wins for best actor in a leading role. Okay. Now, this is great work. Who is he up against? Al Pacino for And Justice for All. I haven't seen that. I've heard about it. He's a lawyer in a courtroom, and he yells at the judge that, no, you're out of order, which gets quoted in, like, everything now. Roy Scheider for All That Jazz. Okay. Playing Bob Fosse. (laughs) Peter Sellers for Being There. Now, this is a movie at some point will go on our list. I love this movie, and I love Peter Sellers in it. And Jack Lemmon for The China Syndrome. Well, we love Jack Lemmon. This is not a fun Jack Lemmon, though. This is a um, terrified Jack Lemmon trying to prevent a nuclear meltdown. I'm sorry, but I still think about the apartment, and I just get all happy. Oh, so think? do you, do you want to think about that character trying to prevent a nuclear meltdown? Sure. Maybe that's what's going on in sure. China Syndrome. I do love that movie. Uh, after, out of that, he's got stiff competition with Peter Sellers. That was a legendary performance. And the end, basically the last thing Peter Sellers ever really did. Hmm. All right. Actor in a supporting role, Justin Henry, was nominated. Yep. We also had Robert Duvall for Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, he's great. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Yeah, I've heard that one a million times. Melvin Douglas, who won for being there. I don't remember his character. Uh, I believe this is the thing where Melvin Douglas was the oldest actor ever to be nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor. Interesting. So, oldest and youngest in the same year. Weird. Uh, Mickey Rooney for The Black Stallion. Oh, Mickey Rooney. I don't know anything about The Black Stallion other than there's almost no dialogue, because it's a boy and a horse. Yep. And then Frederick Forrest for The Rose. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. I just know the song. And Bette Midler. (laughs) Meryl Streep was nominated for Actress in a Supporting Role. And she won. She won. 
Barbara Berry, nominated for Breaking Away. Haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Jane Alexander was nominated for Kramer vs. Kramer. She was? She was. Oh, okay. Well, good for her, because I really loved her performance and her scenes. But yeah, it goes to Meryl. Mariel Hemingway, nominated for Manhattan, which Meryl was also in. Oh, weird. Woody Allen's Manhattan. That was also out this year. Mm, okay. And then Candace Bergen for oh. Starting Over. Well, you know, it goes to Meryl. This was Meryl's first one, too. I guess it was. Because her second one was for... Sophie's Choice. Sophie's Choice. That was her first Best Actress. That was Best Actress. And then she just got her third Oscar for Iron Lady. Mm. Okay, but you know how I've been saying, okay, Meryl has the most. Meryl has the most. Um, There is an actress who has four Best Actress Oscars. And that is? Catherine Hepburn. Yeah? I didn't know that. That makes sense. Four. Four! That's fucking crazy. We're gonna have to watch some of that shit. Moving on to the more overall awards, writing for adapted screenplay, okay. Robert Benton wins for Kramer vs. Kramer. Okay, who's up against? A Little Romance by Alan Burns. Nice. Apocalypse Now, John Milius and Francis Ford Coppola. I'm kind of surprised I didn't win. La Caja Fall, Francis Weber, Edward Molinaro, Marcelo Denon, and a bunch of people. Yeah. And Norma Ray, Irving Ravitch, and Harriet Frank Jr. Okay, well, I've never seen Apocalypse Now, and I can tell you it probably should have won over Kramer vs. Kramer. I'm going to reserve that until we get through all the rest of the awards here. Okay. Because that is the big discussion. Okay, well, the next one is Best Picture winner. Well, the best one is the Best Director. Oh, Best Director, sorry. Because Robert Benton wins Best Directing for Kramer vs. Kramer. Mm-hmm. Bob Fosse was nominated for All That Jazz. Okay. Francis Ford Coppola for Apocalypse yeah. Now, Peter Yates for Breaking Away, mm-hmm. Eduard Molinaro for La Caja Fall, okay. and then Best Picture, Kramer vs. Kramer. Kramer, All That Jazz, Apocalypse Now, Breaking Away, and Norma Ray. Okay, so almost the exact same. So this film took film, writer, and director. Best actor. And, and best supporting, supporting actress. actress. Not that's not the crown. Were she a best actress, it w- they would have taken the crown. Exactly, and she could have been argued to be in the best actress category. You could have, but I understand why she wasn't. And yeah, it's okay. Apocalypse Now. Okay, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't. I'm really just speculating. I because I've seen enough shots from Apocalypse Now, I can tell you that one probably at least deserved to win for directing. Apocalypse Now is a Herculean feat. I believe that. And it is going to be watched on this show. Yes, it will. But when we watch it, we will also have to watch the documentary of the making of it. Oh, maybe we should do that in our documentary section. Maybe. Let's let's add that onto our list. Because the story and the movie go hand in hand in such a huge way. Now, I will say, I I watched the Redux first, Mm -hmm. which is the four-hour version. You don't get anything added. Okay. The only thing you get is... You really only get historical perspective, which, you know, if you care about Vietnam, that helps. But otherwise, you're not getting much I don't, so no. They had to go through so much shit to make that movie. Uh Uh-huh. And Francis Ford Coppola pretty much lost his damn mind. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think the Academy likes him. Mm -hmm. I think they've hated him ever since he came out because he led the movement against all of... The big studio directors. Uh-huh. He was the lead guy for the George Lucases mm-hmm. and the Steven Spielbergs. He was the one who broke out independently. And because of that, I think there was so much bias against him. 
that movie is definitely better than Kramer versus Kramer. I don't know how good it is because it is polarizing. Okay, well. But I think it's a better best picture than what we watched here. I would probably believe that. But I'm going to say that I know that these performances were better than whatever's in Apocalypse Now. I don't know. It's a different kind of performance. That's really what it is. That's fair. They, Apocalypse Now is much more heightened mm-hmm. and stylized. Yeah. And you have to suspend that to, under, to, to be able to say how good those performances are. Mm. Controversial. Interesting. Next An year. Intrigue. And the next year was going to be controversial too. What was the next year? Ordinary People Beats Raging Bull. Oh, yeah, we haven't watched that one, but it's coming later in the air. No. So with that, we are left with star ratings. And because neither of us had seen this movie before. I have to go first this time, don't I? Sure, why not? Well, last time with The Sting, you went first. So, okay, I'm trying to think. I'm going to give this a 3-5. Okay. Uh, Mostly because the performances are all solid. Oh, yes. Wonderful. I understand that this was a different story when it came out, so I'm going to respect that, even though right now it kind of makes me roll my eyes. I'm going to say 3-5 as well. Dun, dun, dun. I thought about it as you were talking and maybe wanted to give it a 3, because I'm not as sympathetic to the timeliness of it. Even if you're at a time where this is a shocking ordeal, mm-hmm. you still could have portrayed it in a better light. Like... There's, there's no reason why you can't portray it the way it should be portrayed with a woman actually having emotional complexity. True. So the fact that Meryl Streep had to fight like hell to get that to happen, I, I, I don't hold any sympathy for it. It doesn't matter what time you're producing the movie. However, it's the performances for me that launch it even further past a better-than-middle movie for me. Hmm. And the emotional response it evokes. Because there are some things where it's manipulation, and this whole sub subgenres come out of this movie, where it's just, we're going to go for the most emotional manipulation we can, and you're just like, oh my god, this is just the worst thing I've seen. This, however, does it in such a subtle way that it truly evokes an emotional response. Hmm. And that's, whether you like it or not, that's an incredible thing for a movie to do. It really is. That's true. It depends. I'm sure I could think of some other movies that have gotten a genuine emotional response out of me. And I'm a stone cold bitch, so... I know. I'm just saying it's not its not necessarily an easy thing to do, especially with a movie that can be this kind of sappy. Yeah, this, this, like we've said before, you take away this caliber of performance and this is a Lifetime movie. Exactly. And you're just like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care about anybody involved in this. Yeah. So... Um, and so for me, it... It's worth watching. I will never watch it again. No. Because it's just so hard to deal with. I don't want to have feelings, so no. I like having feelings from time to time, but not these feelings. Yeah, you know, every now and then when we're, we're, before we started doing this podcast and we were just picking movies, you know, because we we love going to the movies. You're like, oh, I want to see that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to have feelings today. And I, I distinctly remember when we went to go see Baywatch, like, I don't, I was like, I need to see something stupid with pretty people, and that's it. And I went, okay, I got you. And then we went and saw that, and we had a lovely time. We did. Because it's The Rock and Zac Efron, and those are two people who are very self-aware. I didn't like that movie that oh, much. It was, it was a horrible movie, but I had a lot of fun watching but it. But I enjoyed it, yeah. I think I had a margarita that night. That's all. <laughs> okay, so next week, we're finally back on to a movie... One of us has seen, 
Correct. And it's going to be me. Mm-hmm. We are going straight back into hardcore action with the French Connection. Yeah, this is one that's been on my... I should see that list for a long time. That and the original Italian job. This is Gene Hackman's centerpiece movie. Probably the biggest central movie he's done in his whole career. Mm-hmm. Eh, there's some others. And maybe one of the most famous car chases ever put on film. Yes, and I like a good car chase. So, this one, great detective crime story. I think you're going to really like it. Okay. Don't know that's going to be your favorite thing ever. Well, I've looked up nothing about this film, so we're just going to go into it and see what I think. Yeah. Okay, until next time. All right, we did it. We saw the last of the Best Picture nominees. Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. In northern Italy in 1983, 17-year-old Elio begins a relationship with visiting Oliver, his father's research assistant, with whom he bonds over his emerging sexuality, their Jewish heritage, and the beguiling Italian landscape. Mm. I really liked this movie. I enjoyed it. I did. I had, I had this weird feeling... That I had narrowed things down to two movies, but there was something in me saying, I think I'm going to put this one in my top three. And it got there for me. It really did. I go back and forth between this and The Phantom Thread. Well, let's talk a little bit It's about very it. close. It is, a, it is a lovely movie. It is beautiful. It is gorgeously shot. It's mm-hmm. about 20 minutes too long. See, and I... I so I'm I'm going back and forth a little bit because I'm trying to tell myself, is there something I would have just completely cut out of this movie? There is one scene in particular that I think wasn't necessary, but overall I kept thinking about the length and I was like, no, I feel like there wasn't anything I would have wanted to cut out. There's just a lot of randomness that I thought they could have cut. They They could have kept the scene, but they could have made the scene shorter. They just they just lingered on some things longer than they needed to. I and I was fine with that only because that's establishing the Italian countryside as part of the movie. Some of me. it, well, like when they're riding the bikes, that's fine. That's doing that, but then there's other stuff with it with Elio where it's just like, okay, I, I get what you're showing us, and I I like what he's doing, but it's taking so long. So mm-hmm. yeah, they could have tightened it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so you loved it. I enjoyed it. Uh, okay, so let's talk about its Oscars. Well, first of all, Army Hammer got robbed. Oh, I I agree. That's been a it's been a consistent commentary. He one hundred percent should have been in that category. And I give a maybe to Michael Stuhlbarg because he is very good, but his character is not that impactful to the story. He has one incredibly important scene and a love and a bunch of great lines. But I don't. I, I'm I'm fine with him not being in there. No, he's as, not. So long as Army Hammer is, because Army Hammer got robbed, and especially with all the other actors that were nominated. Mm-hmm. Stuhlbarg's, Stuhlbarg's level of in the story isn't important enough to warrant the nomination. Yes, but like Army Hammer deserves to be in there way more than Woody Harrelson. My God, he is so wonderful he in is, this movie. He's great. I I do feel a little bad for Army Hammer because he's been in movie jail, but not because of him. Just because of, like, like you had said earlier when we were walking out of the theater, oh yeah, he did Lone Ranger and that was horrible. It was horrible, but I also think he fell into the, he falls into a little bit of the trap of he is super, super handsome, but 
generically super handsome. So there's well, a lot of people who are handsome in different ways. Well, it's the same thing with Ryan Reynolds. They have not known what to do with him forever. Because if you're super hot, you usually go into leading man, action star. That's it. But the thing about Ryan Reynolds is he's freaking hilarious as a person. Well, and, and they don't know how to do. They don't know what to deal with that. Well, and let's remember his entire career got kicked off by Van Wilder. Oh, that's what gave him came made him become a household name. And then exactly. since then, he's been trying to make Deadpool. Yeah. Which is amazing. We saw that twice in the theaters, and I cannot wait for Deadpool 2. Thank you. Army. Uh, so as... Army Hammer's kind of fallen in that, too, in that he he's a very distinct voice. Um, he carries himself in a very um, mature way. Um, and he's got the chops to be super leading man, but he's just so pretty. I don't think they want it. They trust it. No, and you know, we first I, I I sort of said he's like the the warm, heartful version of George Clooney. Mm-hmm. But I would also say he's very reminiscent. If George Clooney is Clark Gable, mm-hmm. he's Cary Grant. Oh, okay, that's a good comparison. Okay, he has such a depth of mm-hmm. humor in him, but yes. also a sense of warmth. But he can also easily play a leading guy. Oh yes, he could down. carry a movie, and he will after this. I I think so. I. This was a very wise decision on his part um, because you really get to see his chops. He's He was wonderful. Timothy Chalamet is astoundingly good. He's better than Daniel Day-Lewis. He is. Uh, my internal argument right now is, is he better than Gary Oldman? I and think this may come down to that I think the Academy will go for Gary Oldman. I, I, I really do think that people will go, Timothy, you're 22. We let's see what else you can do. But personally, I think his performance is better. I, I'm still mulling it over. I mean, we saw this movie like literally three hours ago, so I I'm know. still thinking it. But it it he 100 percent earned his spot. My gosh, he. Um, this is not a throwaway Oscar nomination. It's not a we just want to recognize this movie nomination. His perform if if Elio if that character was not as strong as he made it, that movie would have falling apart oh yeah the whole movie hinges on his performance and he does it very well and some and at times you feel like maybe this is a little over dramatic just mm-hmm. like with Lady Bird and you think no that's how a teenager would be but even more so with him but than... you know what thought I had I said this is the male version of Lady Bird it is absolutely. that character because it is so like just all the things that would make me laugh out loud are just these little like yeah that's what a 17 year old boy does oh yeah like okay, there's a there's a fair amount of like masturbation jokes and like of course innuendo, which is just funny, but it's like yeah, that's what seventeen year old boys typically do. Oh my gosh! Uh, so it's hilarious. And then there's some uh, there's a very funny incident that has to do with that, which is amazing. <laughs> I, like it could have gone into a really bad way, but it it's great. It's great. Great, love it. And that's my credit to this. I think this does win adapted screenplay. Yes. And the reason I think it wins adapted screenplay, you know, we walked out. One of my fears with this movie was that it was going to fall into the trope of a made December romance. I mean, not that Army Hammer's character is that much older, mm-hmm. but it was going to fall into this older man hooks up with a younger a young kid and teaches him how to be how to how to, how to be, be gay. gay which i think even the merchant ivory movies at times hinted at but it didn't do that at all no this it, 
this is more about a connection and just following that connection regardless of gender or expectations. And it's it's touched upon the expectations and the environment because of the fact that it's set in 1983. Mm-hmm. But they're also in Italy, so things are a little bit different. They 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 hint at the social conditions mm-hmm. without making it the primary and, focus of the film. Well, it's not like a roadblock to their involvement. No, their relationship. Um, it just it it's just there and something that has to be considered. Yeah. The characters Elia is supposed to be seventeen and Oliver's supposed to be twenty four. Okay. And this is based on a book and in Italy the age of consent is fourteen. Mm. So that does also change like it's not it's not creepy. It's not predatory. The film it's does none a, of those things. And the film does a really good job of not making it feel that way. And, which and, is so hard to do. Which you could you could totally see that, and it's like, no, that's not at all what's happening. No, it's it's good. They handled all of that very well. It's it's a it is a beautiful film. I do like that connection that they showed. I just, I mean, it's been three hours. It hasn't sit with me enough for me to go. Yep, that's the best film ever. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm not ready to say that it's like my pick for best picture, but I it's am. Not. I it's am. Not win. No, but I am sitting with it, thinking, wow. I it might be up there, and I just have to think about it a little longer. Its nomination is warranted, but uh, it's not going to win that. It's going to win Best Adapted Screenplay, and then that's going to be it. Yeah. And that's okay. It's a gorgeous movie, though. It, it was well done. It did not get nominated for... It got nominated for uh, Best Actor, Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and then Best Original sc- Song. Yes. Sufjan Stevens. Sufjan Stevens, which we are going to do a little kind of like a mini episode we're going to tag it onto one of the other films where we go through and we listen to all of the best picture songs and we'll talk about those and then decide which one we think is going to win we already have our suspicions but we haven't listened to them so yeah. we're going to come to them with fresh ears i'll say too i'm a little disappointed this movie wasn't nominated for things like production design and cinematography because it is gorgeous <sighs> I understand, I think. But, but look at with... what it's up against. No, I know. Like Shape of Water, Dunkirk, uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast, just for set design. I mean, Blade Runner. But this is such a sumptuous cinematography <laughs> film. No, it is. But in, in a different year, up against different films, sure. But look at the production for those other films. That's fair. It blows this out of the water every time. I know. And and I think at the end of the day the academy recognizes a lot of that has to do with the screenplay. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't discredit what was done. It's just this is a very different style and what the other guys did within their their film was just more impressive. Yeah. Like that's fair. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a knock. I, I just think sorry, it's not your year in that category. Yeah, that's fair. But I do think adapted screenplay is this is our winner. Go see it. It's yes. really, really worth it. Yeah. Just for Timothy Chalamet along. Like, I do genuinely look forward to like, oh, it's going to be interesting to see what else you do because he is so young. And he's so good. He was very good. Yeah. But yeah, better than Daniel Day-Lewis in that saying something. Mm-hmm. Not, not a bad uh, credit to have to your name at 22 years old. Not at all. Actually, I think he's 24 now. I don't know. He's young. <laughs> Until next time, guys. Bye. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com.
until next time. Bye. You want to do that again? <laughs> Not the movie, just that last time. Okay. All, All right. right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me do it. That's fine. Until next time, guys. Bye. <laughs>